This is Jolene and Jolene. There's no Ashley for this episode today. I'm sorry because she isn't free, and she will be back in the next episode. Okay? If this is your first time here, we tell stories of women in ancient China and how they adapted to gender inequality. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Yin the Dynasties. In the last episode, we introduced you guys to Wu Zetian, the story of a lady in waiting becoming the first ever female emperor of ancient China. We briefed you about her serving two generations of emperor and how she replaced the current empress by killing her own baby daughter, allegedly, and assisting Gao Zong, the emperor, with the state affairs in court as the empress of heaven. We ended the episode with her kicking out all of her sons and took the throne herself. Without further ado, let's dive into part two. Tian did after taking the throne is that she established a whole new dynasty and replaced Tang Dynasty to Zhou Dynasty. So basically, she changed the name of the whole dynasty. It was a custom in ancient China where, when a dynasty changes, it resets the whole history and opens a new chapter for it. To secure her position as the first female ruler, she imprisoned some royal family members of the Tang Dynasty. Including the future emperor Tang Xuanzong, which is who is also the husband of Yang Guifei in episode three. If you remember episode three, we actually did mention that、um, Tang Xuanzong was in the golden era of Tang Dynasty. And guess what? Wu Zetian also played an important role of this golden era. But we will talk about this later. Not long after she took the throne, there was an earthquake, and a new mountain appeared because of the earthquake. One of her ministers interpreted it as a bad omen, stating that a female should not take a position as ruler because it inverts the role of domination that was supposed to be men's to women. So basically, the minister said that Wu Zetian had destroyed the nature of human. And now the god or the nature is angry. The minister then said that the new mountain appearing is a sign of future disasters, and advises Wu Zetian to lead a quiet life as a widow by responding to the heaven center. Wu Zetian, as the king of the whole country, of course did not accept the minister's bullshit. She rejected the interpretation and exiled the minister. And since then, everyone was became really cautious of how they speak in front of her. They know that Wu Zetian is not someone that you want to challenge. And for the mountains, Wu Zetian actually interpreted it differently. She thinks it's a sign of gift from the god. She interpreted it as the god had risen the mountain to congratulate her for being the ruler. She even named the mountain Mount Felicity, and some of the ministers supported her and believed in the 
Not gonna lie, she is a PR master. She rebranded the whole bad omen mountain thing into a gift from God, and people just accepted it. That's crazy. And in her 15 years of reigning, she had demonstrated her outstanding political talents and statesmanship in all aspects, such as governing the country, dealing with state affairs, and recruiting officials regardless of their social standing. One of her first achievements is she promoted Buddhism. As you all know, Confucianism and Taoism was the main beliefs and teachings at that time. To quote Confucianism, they say that. Having a women rule is as unnatural as a hen crow like a rooster at daybreak. As you can see, Confucianism does not allow women to gain power or rule. Therefore, she elevated Buddhism as the state religion in China, because Buddhism offers more freedom to women compared to Taoism or Confucianism. She built lots of Buddhist monasteries and became one of the earlier supporters to Buddhism. She also claimed herself as the reincarnation of Midraya Buddha and gave herself a title, Emperor Shengshen, Shengshen Huangdi, which means Holy Spirit. She actually had a great influence in terms of religion to her people, because that was when people started to accept Buddhism as a Chinese religion. The other policy that she changed after claiming herself as an emperor is that she recruited new court officials regardless of their background. She puts lots of attention in recruiting new court officials because the old ones were mostly bribed or were first selected based on their wealthy background or personal integrity, and most of them were not a supporter of Wu Zetian. Therefore, it just makes it harder for her to rule the country with people that does not want to obey her. In Wu Zetian's reign, she would recruit anyone who is useful and had intellectual abilities, regardless of their background. By implementing this policy, she successfully repressed the power of few aristocratic clans that may threaten her regime. Everyone, technically, could be an official. Everyone had hope in her reign. And in order to attract talents for officials, she developed and improved the imperial examination system since the Sui Dynasty. She replaced the old Taoist classic Tao Te Ching with rule of officials that was written by her and put it into the examination. Through the improvement of the examination system, Wu Zetian gradually accumulated political power, gaining the allegiance of previously underrepresented regions, and encouraged education throughout the empire, so that even those living in remote areas would study to pass the imperial exams. In her reform standardized exams, new elite bureaucrats derived from humbler backgrounds. The civil service examination was not a new thing in Tang China, but Wu Zetian's reformation would serve as a foundation for later dynasties, developing an even stronger examination system. And to recruit military leaders, she actually initiated mandatory military exams for commanders to show their capability, which is somehow similar with the civil service examinations. And to recruit military leaders, she initiated mandate military exams for commanders to show their capability, which is similar with the civil service examinations. The candidates will then be appointed personally from her, according to their intellectual abilities and decision making, instead of just 
being recruited due to their family backgrounds. There was no area of the Chinese life that Wu Zetian did not improve. Other than implementing policies for court officials and military leaders, she knew the importance of agriculture. She herself said that the foundation of the country must be farming. Farming is the cultivation of fields, and it will lead to more millet. With more millet, our people will get rich. Therefore, she reformed the agriculture department by rewarding officials who produce the most amount of crops and tax their citizens the least. She also appointed people to write farming manuals and distributed it. Wu Zetian also formed teams to survey the land and build irrigation ditches to help grow more crops. Most importantly, Wu Zetian took back the land that had been invaded in the last dynasty and redistributed it so that everyone could have equal opportunities to farm. In the year of 695, she offered the entire empire a tax-free year. That means no one in her empire need to pay tax. That's crazy. Despite that, she still earned taxes from trade opportunities between China, Central Asia, and the West thanks to the Silk Roads. With her new reformation, agricultural production were greatly developed, and the population continued to increase. People were well fed, and country were fertile. To separate the Zhou Dynasty from Tang Dynasty, she even created new Chinese characters for the dynasty. It is called Zetian character. Her name is Wu Zetian, so it's like her character. If you are interested in the new Chinese characters, do check out our Instagram at Yin the Dynasties because I will be posting some graphics about it. Personally, I saw the new characters and it just blows my mind because it looks so different from what I had learned. People were forced to use the new characters in Zhou Dynasty, but after her time of ruling, the Zetian characters were no longer used. And you may wonder, if there are so many people who wanted to pull her down from the throne because they were angry that a woman ruled their country, how did she manage to reign for fifteen years? The answer is she actually had eyes all over the place. She created secret policies and secret spies since year 660 in the country and all over the court. These informants were paid to travel back and forth to report her about any suspicious activity, and these useful informations actually helped her to pick up suspicious early plots and stop rebellions before it became a real threat. She planned out everything so perfectly. I mean, you have to admit that her political strategies is no weaker than any other male emperors. Thanks to her father that she was taught since young to read and write, and thanks to her learning from two generations of emperors and had all these policies to secure her throne. There is a lot of reformations and new policies by her, but one of my favorite policy is that she created a direct line of communication between her and a citizen. So before this policy, citizens that want to file a complaint have to go through chain of commands before reaching someone that could really do anything about it. To solve this problem, she prepared petition boxes. According to historians, the petition box had four slots: one for self-recommendation of officials, so anyone could recommend themselves or volunteer themselves to be officials. The second slot 
is for anonymous criticism of court decisions from citizens. The third one for anonymous complaints and accusations, and the last slot for citizens to report any strange plots or supernatural signs so that she could look into it. Don't you think this is really, really efficient? Because that's just a direct line of communication between her and the citizens. Compared to other dynasty, for the usual court, the emperor will have meetings with the court officials every day. And every officials have to report back the situation of the section that they were responsible for. For example, if Official A is the leader of Area A, then he would have to report what's happening in Area A in the court meeting. If there's something wrong, all court officials would then, you know, discuss and pitch new policies to solve the problem. That's how a court meeting goes. As an emperor. There's just too much task to juggle simultaneously. Therefore, he would only get to know the well-being of his people according to the reports from the officials. Although everyone knows that lying to the son of heaven, lying to emperor, would lead to heavy, heavy consequences, some evil or greedy officials would still lie to the emperor, saying that, "Oh, you know, the people in area A is very good. They're very happy." And then secretly tax the citizens heavily and silence them from the emperor. Situation like this would then lead to citizens suffering and greedy officials earning. Meanwhile, the emperor would not know anything. Like the emperor would not know what's happening in area A until something really, really bad happened. And then, of course, the officials, the greedy officials, would get punished and face the consequences. But the case is always. The officials hiding it from the emperor really well, and the citizens would file complaint, and the complaint have to go through a chain of commands, and then the higher rank official, higher ranking officials would get bribed, and then silence, ignore the complaint, and they file complaint again, and the cycle just goes on and on. Therefore, it is my favorite policy from Wu Zetian because citizens could be a part of the reformation. As they would give out helpful ideas that could improve the country, instead of officials always profiting from them. Forgive me that I could not list out all of her achievements one by one because there's just too much. But I think one of the most important achievement from her is that she actually uplifted the female position in her era of time. Back when she was an empress for Emperor Gaozong, she suggested to extend the mourning period for a deceased mother equal to a deceased father. So originally, if one's father passed away in that dynasty, one should mourn for three years to show respect for the deceased. However, if the deceased is a mother, then it is not required for the children to mourn for that long. As you can see, that. The women's position is really inferior compared to men. Just because of the gender differences, after you die, you just you're just not respected anymore. Therefore, Wu Zetian's suggestion to extend the mourning period for women uplifted the position of women in that era. Emperor Gaozong did accept her suggestion, praised her, and implemented it. During her reign as an emperor, she also promoted women's rights by initiating campaign 
and appointed scholars to edit biographies of competent women. She served as a vivid example and encouraged future females like Lady Wei or Taiping Gongzhu to take part in politics too. Let's talk about something juicier: the harem of Lu Zetian. Remember that we mentioned in episode two that all emperors had their own imperial harem, that like three thousand concubines or something. Guess what? The female emperor had her own too. Okay, it is not officially a harem, but she had countless of lovers. She was in her seventies at the time, and I guess she became lonely and sad. Therefore, she needed some sort of companion. So one of the most famous lovers of hers is the two Zhang brothers. So these two guys, they're all their their surnames are both Zhang, so they are brothers. The two brothers is um the former singers, and one of the brothers had a face as beautiful as a lotus flower, according to Wu Zetian. And another brother is valued for his talents on the bed. So the Zhang brothers were greatly favored by her, and nobody but them were allowed to stay by her side. They spent lots of times with her in close quarters, and Wu Zetian trusted them so much that she gave them court positions, like the deputy minister of military supplies. People judged her as scandalous because of her old age and how young the two brothers were compared to her. However, looking at how Other dynasties that fourteen-year-old girls could be a concubine, and nobody would even comment on it. It's so obvious that Wu Zetian is only criticized because of her gender. It is a norm for male emperors sleeping around with younger girls, but when a female emperor does the same, they tend to be criticized. What can I say? This is double standard. When Wu Zetian got older. Her court became less efficient because she was getting more and more paranoid. It resulted in her banishing anyone that was a suspect of disloyalty. She, like all other emperors, started to stray away from state affairs and spent more time with the two brothers. I guess the downfall of the emperor is always the same: either they believe in some cunning or petty man like the eunuchs. Or they just strayed away from state affairs due to lust. So I guess it's proven that not only men can be playful, women too. It is just so iconic to me that all, like most of the dynasties that we mentioned in episode three, for example, like the stories of them straying away from state affairs is always because of attractive partner. The other similarities that I found in all emperors that led to this fall due to lust is most of them were in their older age. So I guess maybe they're just tired of governing, therefore they just start running away from their problems. I don't know. Anyways, few years later, the court officials were no longer tolerating with her behavior, and they murdered the two brothers. She was around eighty. Years old at that time, and she was really, really ill. Her son Zhongzong took this as an advantage, and forced her to step down from the throne and re-establish Tang Dynasty. 
Her son ended her career, and she ruled Zhou Dynasty for fifteen years. If you don't remember who is Zhongzong, he was her third eldest son that she banished years ago. So technically, this is the second time Zhongzong became an emperor. The first time was before Wu Zetian became an emperor. It is said that Zhongzong is a coward. He is indecisive and easily influenced. Influenced by who, you may ask? His wife, Empress Wei. Does it sound familiar to you? This name, Empress Wei, Lady Wei. Earlier in the episode, I did mention that Wu Zetian、um, served as a role model and influenced future females to take part in politics, and one of them is Lady Wei, which is her daughter-in-law, the wife of Emperor Zhongzong. So, it is said that he was greatly influenced by Empress Wei because his wife is very hungry for power, and It was the reason of him re-establishing the Tang Dynasty and taking over the throne. To be honest, I pity Emperor Zhongzong. The first time of him being an emperor, he was a puppet to his mother. He was under house arrest. He was banished, and also exiled. He suffered a lot in his childhood that made him such a coward and indecisive. The second time of him being an emperor. He was again a puppet to his wife. If that is not pathetic enough, Emperor Zhongzong only reigned for five short years, and in those five years, most of the power is in the hands of his beloved wife, Empress Wei. And what happened after five years? He died. Why? Because he got poisoned by who? Allegedly, by his beloved wife again. Empress Wei. Her plan is to restore her son as the next emperor, and then because the the son is very young, it's like around sixteen year old. So she thought that it would be easy to control, you know, like a puppet, another puppet. However, her plan to take over failed. Why? Because she was executed. By who? By the other person that was heavily influenced by Wu Zetian. And this person is Taiping Gongzhu, Princess Taiping. Just now, when I was talking about the achievements of Wu Zetian, I did mention that she influenced two person into politics, and these two females, one is her daughter-in-law Empress Wei, that allegedly poisoned her son, Emperor Zhongzong, and the other person is Wu Zetian's daughter, Princess Taiping. So Princess Taiping executed Empress Wei. She also wanted to rule like her mother, but the plan also failed because people were cautious after the case of Wu Zetian. Isn't that scary? <laughs> It's just get worse and worse. Emperor Wu Zetian was buried fifty miles away from the province Xi'an. It was located between two low hills topped with watchtowers, known today as the Nipple Hills. <laughs> yep, you heard it right. It's called the Nipple Hills because imagine two mountains, and in between of the two mountains there is a road. Okay, and then on top of these two mountains there are watchtowers. 
so it looked like nipples. <laughs> People say that the spot was chosen because the hills reminded Gaozong of young Wu Zetian's breast, which I don't know if it's true or not, but it's kind of funny. I will also post the graphics on Instagram. And for Wu Zetian's tombstone, she decided not to have anything written on her memorial tomb. And she lies beside to her husband, Emperor Gaozong. Her tombstone is the only tombstone out of all emperor that was left blank, which is really weird to me. Because according to traditions, the tombstone of every emperor is always carved with the achievements that they had accomplished during their reign, so that the future generations would remember them in a good way. But Wu Zetian, as the first ever female emperor, is just something that you could brag about, but she did not. And this leads to our question of the day: Why do you think Wu Zetian wanted a blank tombstone? If you look at all of her accomplishments, she, her whole life is just like a roller coaster, from a fourteen-year-old nobody, like a low-rank concubine, to someone who created a whole new dynasty and became the first ever female emperor. It's just so crazy and. I just don't understand why would she leave the tombstone blank. She was the one who created the base of the golden era of Tang Dynasty. Because after her, the Emperor Tang Xuanzong continued her policies and brought Tang Dynasty to a higher level. It got me thinking: if she was forced to do it, or is it her real will? Yes, there are some evidence pointing that. Being buried as an unmarked tombstone is Wu Zetian's will. However, it is also reasonable to think that by leaving her an unmarked tombstone may be a way for Emperor Zhongzong, her son, to assert his power over his mother, who had usurped him once before. And by censoring her achievements, it may show some kind of domination over her mother. This is just my guess, because it somehow made sense. If you go and you know visit the real tombstone, which is located in Shanxi, you will see that on top of, like, on the surface of this tombstone, there is like small boxes, empty boxes, carved out. So it's like, it seems like it's waiting for someone to carve something in it. So, according to my guess, just now, it may be that Wu Zetian already planned out everything. She already wrote out all of her achievements on a paper or something, and expected the next emperor, Emperor Zhongzong, to carve it out for her. And people just hate her so much that nobody carved it out for her. That's that's why it's blank, or it's just her view. And maybe I'm just overcomplicating things. <laughs> Anyways, talking about the QOTD, tell me what you think about it. I'll give you like four options. The first one is maybe Wu Zetian know that her doings led to too much controversies, so she want to leave it blank, and people in the future could judge her doings without biases. The second option is maybe it's not her will. She wanted everyone to see that she's the first ever female emperor, 
but the people in the future didn't want didn't want to remember her in a good way, so they don't carve anything. The third one is maybe she knew that all her all her killings is a big sin. That's why nothing should be written on the tombstone because she doesn't deserve it. Comment down below your answer. At the end of dynasties, or just vote it on our Spotify page. Like, if you're listening to this on Spotify, scroll down and you'll see like the poll section. As an emperor, Wu Zetian unified the empire and brought in social changes that secured the dynasty. She unified the empire and brought in social changes that secured the dynasty. She transformed the society from one that is controlled by a military and political aristocracy to one that is governed by a scholarly bureaucracy with a change of policy. Even the future emperor of Tang Dynasty, Tang Xuanzong, also used her policies as a blueprint and created the golden era of the future Tang Dynasty. Despite all of the undoubted improvements that Wu Zetian brought to China during her reign, she was. Always remembered as an evil and ruthless dowager empress, but never an emperor by the people. It is said that she killed around ninety-three people throughout her sixty-seven years in the imperial palace. Twenty-three of them were her family members, thirty-four of them were the members of Tang family, and thirty-six of them were court officials. We will never be able to know which ninety-three people were innocent. Were forced to die, or accused, or deserved to die. Just how accurate the data is remains a debate, and we will leave this to the historians to find out. Some Confucian scholar also describe her as having a heart like a serpent and a nature like a wolf. She is hated by gods and men alike. But if you think about it, her cruelty was no worse or different than the male emperors at that time. Wu Zetian had always been a victim due to the double standards that was reinforced by the sexism of Confucianists. In my opinion, I think Emperor Wu Zetian did an amazing job as an emperor. All in all, I just respect her so much. She was the reason why women's position in that era was slightly uplifted. Yes, she may be cruel. The stories of her strangling her baby daughter and killing other concubines may be true. She may be really that ruthless and scary, but so is other male emperors. Her doings were only magnified because of she is a woman, isn't it? That's all we have for today. I hope that I did not overwhelm you with all of these details. It's my first time hosting the whole episode myself, so it was kind of scary, but I did enjoy it. So I hope that you did too. On our next episode, we will be learning about the life of Cixi Taihou, the Empress Dowager of the last Chinese dynasty. Does this sound familiar to you, Cixi? Let me remind you, Cixi is a character that we mentioned before briefly in episode two. She was the one that. Had no white hair even in her seventies. Yes, that crazy woman. <laughs> so she is a very crucial character that impacted China's future. 
Some people say that she prolonged the Qing Dynasty, and some people say that she was the cause of the fall. We will be telling you the whole story, and you can be the judge. See you in the next episode. 奴婢先行告退。Thank、you